Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Just one quick reminder. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the Cryptocurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. for Cryptocurrent. I'm Stephen Miller, and you are watching The Aftershock, the show where we connect you with what's going on in the world of Web3. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Richard Carthon, for this Wednesday edition. Richard, how you doing? Doing good. Um, you know, the markets are doing what the markets do. It's May 2nd. So, you know, April's a historically bullish month for crypto. It had highlights. It also had some downs. It did probably finished... I think a little lower than what it started off at, but as we enter May, um, we might be headed towards some mayhem. Yep, that's right. The dad jokes are coming. Everyone strap in, get ready. Uh, but um, there are a lot of things that I think we might see some more pain before we see some uh, bullishness come. But hey, this is just the beginning of the month. Time will tell. But overall, I'm doing okay. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing all right, man. Look, the old saying is sell in May and go away. And I don't know if it's going to be the case this year, but I think that we all need to have this little uh, come to Satoshi moment and at the very least acknowledge the fact that there is a macro situation going on here. There's a lot going on in the world markets. There's still uh, this ongoing conflict happening in this nation called Ukraine. I don't know if you've heard about it. And then there's also plenty going on here at home with inflation. So there's plenty of reasons for why we're seeing what we're seeing right now. But I think that the old paradigm of sell and man go away may find itself, unintended, flipping. So we'll hopefully have to um, see a little bit more uh, progress in the next couple of months. But for now, uh, for those of you that are joining us today, we appreciate you being here. And we want to make sure that foremost, you know every single time that we come to you with brand new content, whether that's our interviews on Mondays and Fridays, or just these aftershock news moments where we bring you up to speed on what's trending in the world of crypto, please do us a favor. Make sure you're subscribed or following on your favorite podcast platform so you can stay connected and we can get you updated and connected to Web3 the best way we know how. So as always on these Wednesday editions, we call this show The Aftershock because it is last week in review. So we're going to jump into our aftershock segment. The Aftershock. So in typical style, we like to start off our aftershocks with the Web3 lightning round. And through this rundown, we're going to give you a quick little uh, glimpse at what's been going on in crypto throughout the last week. And our first story to top off the lightning round this week is Panama announcing that they're going to officially exempt digital assets from capital gains in their country. 
Um, I think it's a great move for Panama. I wish that the United States would do this, but it's not looking like that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, not a lot more to say on this story, but Richard, why don't you jump on the next one? Next, we have Fidelity to allow Bitcoin investments in 401ks. This is huge. Um, Fidelity is one of the largest uh, 401k uh, investment vehicle here in the States. And basically, this is going to allow a lot of access to a ton of Americans with really, uh, you know, small and large uh, investments to start to diversify into Bitcoin. So again, as money flows into Bitcoin, the rest of the crypto market thrives. So I think this is big, uh, solid news. I love the fact that we're starting to see Bitcoin flow into 401ks and even um, IRAs and Roth IRAs. I think it's going to be a very big progressive move for the future. And it's going to be one of the first ways that we go interoperable with traditional finance. In other um, large finance and central investment banking news, we have Goldman Sachs making a big announcement today. Um, They are officially offering the first Bitcoin-backed loans. Honestly, man, like I don't get excited about this stuff anymore because I think banks are terrible. Uh, I'm just going to say it how it is. Like, I, I think that this is all big because it's like first mover stuff, but it's just not fun. It's, you know, what's interesting about this is like Goldman Sachs is taking a uh, page out of DeFi and uh, decentralized finance with collateralized loans and basically saying, like, oh, we can do this in real world. And that's what they're doing. And I will, I am curious to see how many, there are a lot of people from the traditional world who have bought Bitcoin and have learned about DeFi and used their Bitcoin as collateral. And now they're like, oh, I don't have to go through some of these other exchanges and do all of these 10 steps. I can just do one step now. Um, that's, that's pretty appetizing, especially, especially with more of these companies having their 401ks uh, allowing for Bitcoin investments, now they can potentially start getting loans against their 401ks and Bitcoin. So there's just so many DeFi plays that are being brought into traditional finance, which I think is interesting to see how it will play out. Hopefully just the start, but hopefully it doesn't get you know predatory. That's what yeah. I would like to just avoid at all costs. So either my audio cut out or Steven's did. Um, not sure just yet. Um, oh. But Steve, there we go. I'm back. My bad. It was my audio. <laughs> anyway, the other next piece in our lightning round this week is Ethereum's Optimism Layer 2 is officially planning to airdrop its OP token after they just officially launched their new DAO. Um, this is exciting because Optimism is one of the next big layer two scaling platforms on Ethereum. And what we'll be talking about later with the massive scaling issues that we had this past weekend, um, it's going to come in handy to say the least. But Richard, tell me about the next story so I can uh, make sure that I'm muted again for an extended period of time. (laughs) So Solana's weekend outage places blame on bots. So Solana went down for hours uh, this past weekend and... uh, especially during a very important drop that we will get into in the next segment, um, which was an opportune time for them to actually be thriving. But instead, we're down. Um, Unfortunately, this is becoming a reoccurring issue with the Solana ecosystem where they are constantly seeing outages. And they're blaming this on bots, basically saying that uh, 
with all the transactions that they have, bots are not being placed on there to try to jam up the system and the, the bots are winning. So they got to figure this out. They can't allow this to, to, to keep happening. Um, and uh, this is definitely, uh, even with as expensive as ETH gas fees can become, you still can pay an ungodly amount of money and still have your transaction work. With Solana, when it's out, it's out. Nobody can do anything. You're stuck. So that they, they got to get that figured out. Yeah, what people lose track of is that the reason why gas fees get really high on Ethereum is because the network is being used. It can still function. It just gets expensive for the miners to actually process transactions. With Solana, these outages have become, I don't want to say it, but kind of a norm. And we need to see that change. Um, but for now, I guess we're just going to have to defer to Charles Hoskinson's Twitter account where he will troll the living shit out of Solana just like he did this past weekend. Um, but yeah, we saw a 7 to 10 hour outage and hopefully they'll get this stuff under control as time goes on. We need to be very mindful of the fact that Solana is still in beta, right? It's not you know, necessarily a fully functioning mainnet yet. But by the time we get there, this should be a problem that is well in the past. So our next piece and our final piece for the Web3 lightning round tonight is a banger. Good old Warren Buffett coming out, just saying the dumbest stuff possible, right? Coming in hot, man. And I quote, if you offered me all the Bitcoin in the world for $25, I wouldn't take it from Mr. Warren Buffett himself. I don't understand how you say this anymore. Like, man, he, he is so stuck in his ways. First of all, this dude's 91 years old and he's making an ungodly amount of money. And yes, he is still beating traditional markets. Like right now, Q1, uh, where the S&P was down, I think like 20%, he was up like 20 or 30. So yes, he still has that figured out. He's still doing his thing. Although the last several years, he hasn't been doing as great. I digress. Point being is, if you understand old world into web one and web two, and he's been doing very well on those, but it's basically saying like, eh, web three, I don't get it. So therefore, it's never going to be worth anything. We're, we're just so far past that. We're just so far that's, past it. So. That's exactly why I'm scratching my head, man. Like if this guy invested heavily in Web2, it just stands to reason that you're going to understand the technology is going to evolve. So you're just denying progress, evolution. I, and look, I mean, there are plenty of really dumb people in this world that deny evolution already and they deny vaccines and all that sort of stuff. So like, I don't want to, I guess, like corner this guy too much because he's extremely wealthy and can probably put that money to use to get me to be quiet. But beside the point, I just think it's dumb anymore. We need to be a lot better than... Yeah, we're, we're, we're just past the point of Bitcoin not being a, a valid investment opportunity. So no doubt. So let's move into last week in the metaverse and cover some of these topics from our friends in the NFT space and across the expanse of the metaverse. Our first story is MoonPay, who you may know as the big provider of a lot of different NFT purchases to celebrities, has announced that they are building their own NFT creator platform so that NFT creators can go onto the MoonPay platform, not just build, but also deploy their own NFTs. I think it's a good move. I think it's a logical move. Um, I just wish that MoonPay would start being a little bit more transparent with their activity. 
For our next story, um, this one was a really interesting one, Richard. It came out on Twitter, and that's pretty much all we're going on. So the CEO of Genie, which is one of the largest um, aggregators of NFT sales volume, and like it allows you to take in a whole bunch of sales postings from different marketplaces so that you can sweep floors broadly. They teased officially a Genie token meaning that if you're using the Genie platform, you're sweeping, you're purchasing assets through Genie, you may be due an airdrop in the near future. So I would keep an eye out for that. That's a really interesting story in my opinion. Um, But why don't you tell us about this next one? This is a big one. This is a huge one. OpenSea adds ApeCoin as a form of payment. You heard that right. ApeCoin, which literally just came live on Coinbase, what, last month? And is already being used on OpenSea as a form of payment. When you talk about utility, like just coming into existence so quickly. And uh, this is also going to feed nicely into something we're probably going to cover later. So I'm just going to leave it at that. It's, it's just, just know that it's extremely wild that OpenSea went with any other form of, of taking money outside of ETH, USDC, or, or, or actually wrapped ETH and said, nope, you can use this thing called ApeCoin. Like that's, Wild to me. It's not just for the ape ecosystem, like uh, the board ape ecosystem. It's for everything, which is nuts to me. Yeah. See, the, and this is why we're actually going to spend a little bit more time on this because it's actually a really big piece of news. And uh, you may have also noticed up on our Twitter account if you follow at underscore at underscore cryptocurrent underscore, uh, we were actually among the very first breaking this story to you. So make sure you're following our Twitter account so you can stay up to date on what is the very latest in crypto and Web three. But this is a much bigger story than we're even leading on to be. Because even in the first couple of hours of ApeCoin being officially on OpenSea as an acceptable currency, you had other collections enabling it, which immediately is showing that the rest of the market wants to adopt this as the official like cultural currency. I think that's a really interesting development in and of itself. But it's not the first time that you've had other currencies allowed to be used on OpenSea. Even recently, you had Solana being added. You've had the opportunity to transact in sand, uh, the SAND token from Sandbox when you're uh, transacting and buying and selling land. But this is the first time, at least that I know of, where across different collections, collections are authorizing the use of ApeCoin on their NFTs. I think that this is just the start of it. I think it's also kind of interesting that if you go to the OpenSea homepage or if you went to the OpenSea homepage, because I don't know if it's still going to be the same homepage, as soon as the other side mint went up and they were preparing for it to be traded on secondary through OpenSea, it was really, really clear that there was some level of partnership going on. And there was a lot of talk in the world of Board Ape and with Yuga Labs that a marketplace of their own was in the works at some point or may still come. If OpenSea adopts ApeCoin the way that it's looking like they are right now, and you can transact with, Open, with ApeCoin right now, they may not need to develop their own marketplace because they may take over OpenSea. So as a hot take... I'm curious of what you think about a Yuga buyout of OpenSea. Man, I think that's a hot take simply because the amount of money 
OpenSea makes a month right now, for them to basically forego all future cash flows as the market continues to evolve and more people eventually flow into it for a one-time lump sum, Yuga Labs doesn't currently have that kind of money. I mean, dude, they, they raised enough capital to get a $4.4 billion valuation. I'm not saying that's more than what OpenSea has. But what I can tell you is that if you look at it from a critical standpoint right now, after that other side sale, you can actually make a case that they could go out, raise a Series C, and probably take on a valuation that's greater than that of OpenSea. Oh, they could. And I'm, oh, I'm just saying that strictly from the VC perspective. Yeah. There is a chance that they could actually go and achieve that. I'm not saying they will, but because ApeCoin is sweeping through the way that it is right now, it would be really interesting. I don't think they will, but it would be really interesting. So It would be. But to your point, the window for them to do that is probably in the next year. Because after that, well, I think OpenSea is going to be too big. Yeah, look, I think we'll, we're going to have to find out on that one. So time will tell, but let's move into this next story. This one confused a lot of people. There was a massive run on OpenSea and across other exchanges of people buying three and four character ENS domains that were strictly made up of numerical values. So for example, if I was buying a three character ENS domain, it would be something like 343.eth or 565.eth all the way up to 999.eth. In the case of the four characters, I think you can probably guess where I'm headed with this one. So they're calling themselves the 10K Collective. It's a very interesting idea in that people are basically buying ID numbers that are associated with other profile picture collections that are 10K collections. So every single one of those profile pictures has an ID number attached to it. And the thought is that by owning one of these 10K ENS domains, you could go and license to a subdomain to one of these other um, owners if they decide to come and ask for that subdomain. It turns into a nice stream of passive income over time if you were to do that. Uh, but we're talking about now three and four character ENS domains getting up to prices of like 5 ETH. Mm. It's, it's, it's getting that hot right now. So this is a trend that I think may be a phase, but it could also be something that continues to kind of come up over time and just follow in like a wave of sorts. What do you think about this news? There's always these random runs on domain names and you see these people who like go and buy a bunch just for 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 giggles. Now the people who came out the gates getting like 333111 or whatever sentimental number that's between 3 and 4 numbers can you imagine like buying that legit two, two, three years ago? You get airdropped ENS. You're like, oh, cool. This is cool. I just, I just made some money. And now you're also, by the way, your ENS, if you wanted to sell it right now, you could sell it for like, you know, three to five ETH, just a measly, let's call it 10 to 20 grand. Like <laughs> that, that's insane, man. Like, God, like it's, it never, ceases to amaze me the the, um, the sheer amount of opportunity to make money in this space right now if you're creative and you can see it. So just for some... Sorry, this is just ridiculous to me. Just for some perspective, um, 555.eth 
recently sold? Want to take a guess? 15 ETH. 55.5 ETH. Stop. 888.ETH just recently sold. Now, keep in mind, 888 is also the name of an influencer in the space. So you're competing with somebody who's pretty high profile. Want to take a guess? 110. 32.5. That's still insane. Six-figure domain names. Six-figure yeah. domain names. So it's if easy. you were in ENS day one and figure this out, like, oh, I should just snag up as much as possible right now. Land grab. Ugh. But I mean, like, look, think back to, uh, I don't know if you ever, ever saw the show The League, but there was a an episode where the character Taco bought DallasCowboys.com and he basically held the team ransom. Like it was, <laughs> in that case in Web2, that's called squatting. You can't do that because it's like a brand and trademark issue in the real world. Here in Web3, you run into an issue where like that's typically not the case. You don't actually get run off by somebody who's claiming trademark rights over you. So it's interesting. I think it's going to be a developing thing that we continue to watch. But if you have the opportunity to go and check it and see if like maybe you registered one a long time ago, and I'm just sitting here reminding you that you actually own 666.eth, I would definitely go sell it today because yeah. you'll make a lot of money. A ton. So let's go ahead into this next story for last week in the metaverse. Um, this was a one that we'll cover briefly. CEO of Cool Cats, Chris Hassett, has officially stepped down. It's unfortunate because I think a lot of people were making a case that Cool Cats was like one of those big burgeoning blue chips that was coming up, especially with the release of their game, Cooltopia. And it just didn't go the way they had hoped. And it continued to have development pushback and running into bugs and errors. And it pushed back the release and reveal of the Cool Pets, which is their secondary collection. It sucked, but the community was outraged by the fact that there wasn't progress. So Chris is officially out and they're now looking for a new CEO. The only reason I think this is news is because this may open up a very great buying opportunity if you're interested in getting a cool cat. What do you think? Yeah, this is an awful move. I mean, you got... With the eyes focused on the rest of the NFT market on everything else that's been going on and not having progress with the latest drops and everything else. And now even, you know, your head, CEO, stepping down. In regular markets, when you see stuff like this happen, you usually see a gigantic just pullback. And these are your your moments to come in. I mean, when you think about Alpha and you think about buying opportunities, this is typically the kind of things that you look for. So again, never financial advice, never telling anybody how to buy or spend money, etc. Steve and I are just sharing our opinions. But uh, these are the kind of things as a potential uh, NFT concierge or, or, or what have you. These are the kind of things that you want to look for when you look for opportunities. Were you trying to say NFT connoisseur? You know, I didn't want to butcher that word because I know you'd give me crap about it. So didn't do it. I was just kind of curious because like there were three or four different ways that you could have gone in different directions with that. And you... You tried to bob, you tried to weave, and instead you just took the shot right to the dome. And you know, like also at the exact same time, decided if I wanted to do a dad joke with Cat Nisure, but didn't go for it. I got to tell you, man, I wouldn't have given you shit for that though. <laughs> <laughs> I really wouldn't have. 
Um, there is one other story that we didn't include this week that I do feel like I want to mention last moment here. And that's that if you're familiar with the art blocks ecosystem, they're like one of the leading authorities in generative art and generative drops. They recently had a big change to the way they're planning on doing their drop structure. It's worth looking at because in my opinion right now, generative art is massively undervalued compared to the rest of the market. And there's a lot of really great projects that are open right now on artblocks.io. So maybe worth going to just spend a couple minutes to appreciate what generative algorithms are putting out these days. Um, it's pretty interesting stuff. So in our last story on last, last week in the metaverse coverage, we're answering the question, is the grass truly greener on the other side? That's, of course, relating to the big other side land sale that happened this weekend. And to some, you might say that it was productive. You had mint revenue into the hundreds of millions. You had secondary trading volume over a billion dollars, actually record-breaking. They uh, topped the volume of Moonbirds with their land in the first 24 hours. So brand new records there for highest grossing volume on secondary in 24-hour time frame and 48-hour time frames. So from that aspect, if you're Yuga Labs, it's really hard to be upset. But I think that's where things start to turn. So one of the biggest things that you may know about this if you've been listening to the coverage is that there was a record-breaking gas war that took place. And we're talking about like way upwards of 8,000. I was watching it at the very beginning. It did, in fact, exceed 8,000. It went to 9,000. And then kind of settled around 6,000 to 5,000 for the next hour and a half. I've never seen that happen. Yeah, and hopefully it never happens again because that's gross for all of those who don't necessarily know the quick conversion. Imagine paying two ETH, aka $6,000 for a transaction. Like imagine going to anywhere, McDonald's or... Let's just keep that. You you go to McDonald's. You want to do you wanted to get a a meal, and they said that'll be, you know, three dollars. Oh, but if you want this burger, it's going to be six thousand dollars in 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 taxes. No, no. <laughs> Walk away. <laughs> but and people see, were paying it. <laughs> but see, some people will tell you like this was inevitable, and that is the take that many board ape holders and Yuga Maxis are giving is like this was inevitable. You there was no way around this. And the reason I find it funny is there was a post that was put out by the founders of Yuga and um, endorsed by the Yuga Labs team in like the last two or three days before this went live. And it was literally them saying that their earlier announcement about this being a Dutch auction was a mistake. They literally called Dutch auctions bullshit to the rest of the internet. But the entire reason they went away from it in the first place was claiming... It's just going to turn into a gas war if it's Dutch auction. We're just going to do a flat price of 305 um, ApeCoin and do it in waves based on when you KYC'd. There were also some other things they said, like these CODAs, the new avatar collection that they're planning on releasing through this, that they would all be on the public sale plots. None of the board ape holders and mutant ape holders, when they minted, would actually get a coda on their land. A lot of these things turned out to not be true. So while Dutch auction may be BS and it may have you know been a gas war, this turned into a gas war anyway. They promised codas on only public land. 
I know plenty of ape holders who have codas on their land and it just made them exceedingly richer. Um, so there's a lot of ways to view it. Um, but I think that there's a lot that's broken about it. And that's what brought about this. Um, immediately after the sellout, once Yuga had the money padding their pockets, they started what they were effectively using as a PR tour to say that ApeCoin needs its own chain. They were making an apology. like They were saying, like we're really sorry for affecting the Ethereum blockchain. It's now been abundantly clear that ApeCoin will need to migrate to its own chain in order to properly scale. We'd like to encourage the DAO to start thinking in this direction. It was so clearly coordinated that I just, I can't help but feel like this is not ethical in a lot of ways. But what do you think of the entire situation at large? Because there's, there's so many things that can be unpacked here. And I hope that you will engage in the comments with us and let us know what you think. Because I personally am not an ape holder. I'm not in Yuga's ecosystem at all. And neither is Richard, as far as I know. Yeah. But talk to me about what you think at large. So it's very clear that there's a gas floor. They made this announcement that all this was happening. There's been a lot of buzz. People have been talking about it for weeks and it was, was coming. And you got to imagine that this isn't their first rodeo. They've done multiple airdrops. They've done multiple drops. They've done the mutants. They've done um, the drops with like the Christmas thing. They've also, they, they've had a lot of experience in this space doing this type of thing before. So they've been through all worst case scenarios. They've been through what it would mean for the community that's part, trying to participate they know like how many people would be having eyes on this. So they can't, they can't claim ignorance. This is my first point. They can't claim ignorance and didn't. Like they can't act like they didn't know how this would affect gas. So now that that's aside, if they knew that was coming and they also just had, you know, eight coin drop, it's been doing nothing but skyrocket. It is already been like used by OpenSea, which we covered earlier. And now they're also saying like, hey, the, the, the path to a solution is to exclusively use ApeCoin. I, like you said, like these dots line up, well, just way too perfectly. Like almost like it was not manipulated, but like fully thought through as an execution plan. Not like, a, oh, these things happen. Therefore, we are reacting with putting something in motion to now fix this. It was very strategic that ApeCoin came out first, that a partnership came out with OpenSea, and then they dropped the other side. Like These are very well-timed and methodical lines of thought. So, ah, oh man, like to get into the ethics of it, like there's a lot of different ways you can go with it. But from like a business strategy standpoint, I see... It was a good, I think it's a solid strategy. I think it's like a, for them and what they're trying to build, sure. But from a, is this truly providing equity? Is it providing an equal playing field for any and everyone who is trying to get a part of this community, who's trying to become involved in this? The answer is no, it's exclusive. Like they, they are very much making this exclusive and making this for, unfortunately, the ultra wealthy and for people who can afford to pay $6,000 to claim their own mint or to try to buy a, a piece of land. I mean, first, there's not a lot of people who just 
are willing to spend even $3,000 on a transaction to then spend thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to purchase virtual land. So it's just, there's a lot to unpack with it. But to your original point of, was this a coordinated decision? Yes, I think evidence points to absolutely. And I think the big thing that I get really wrapped up in here is kind of twofold. This was really, really obvious at the end of the day. It just was. This was going to be an absolute all-out gas war. You should have seen it coming. But I want to be very clear. If you at home had the ability and the privilege of being able to mint other side land and lucked out and you know have that financial freedom and ability, I don't put this on you at all. No, nope. I don't even for a second begrudge you for seizing that opportunity. You're changing your life. That's fantastic. My problem is the fact that far too many people out there in this world that are not of your thinking they are not yet realizing that these very large collections like Yuga, like Proof Collective that just dropped Moonbirds, the collectors and people that are investing in those projects are operating in a different league than you. They're VCs. They're large-scale investors. They have the financial ability to throw around $6,000 on gas because they want their transactions to go through so they can secure their profits. That's the VC imperative. It's make more money. It's always what the VC imperative is. So to me, I think that you have a bigger issue here and that's that people are not yet educated on what game they're playing. And the sooner that they get educated on that, the better. And that's honestly the reason why we are here. We want you to be better educated on these types of topics. Now, looking at Yuga, man, like it's really hard to imagine that this is not just theater, right? It, it, it really looks like theater. Every single move that they've made since they announced Other Side has looked massively coordinated. They've known what they've been doing all along. And if they're going to play it out like this that they didn't know and all this other crap, it's just for PR. It's literally just them trying to cover their ass with their fan base. But I can tell you this, across Twitter right now, a lot of people are pissed about it, including their own fans. I've seen plenty of mutants and, and apes actually selling out of their positions saying, I just don't align with these values anymore. And that's honestly their prerogative. I hope that more people start questioning their values in this space and investing with not just their financial mind, but thinking a little bit with their heart and looking out for you know their fellow man. But oftentimes, that's not how um, finances work. But the final note that comes out of this is these bigger questions regarding the codas, these new properties, artifacts that are found on the land, and even the contract at large. I don't think that there's enough information out there for us to form a solid opinion on it yet, because it's still very like recent. But Richard, you need to do some research into the contract. If I'm, you know, just speaking objectively from what I've read already, if I'm an investor, if I'm somebody in the space that just wants to be read, like well read on what's going on, 
you have to go read the contract. There are some really sketchy things at play regarding clawback and the ability to basically just nuke your holdings on the side of Yuga and the VCs where they can basically say like, if you're doing something that they don't approve of, they can take a coda from you. Mm. That's not a good look, but it goes to show, first of all, any contracts in life that you sign, you know, you should probably, you know, look into it, read a little bit, uh, know what you're signing up for. But I think that's going to be the next sneakiest part of a lot of these smart contracts as they're, they're put in here, which you're basically agreeing to in them people really could just start putting in anything and by you signing it on your, you know, MetaMask or whatever and saying like, yep, I agree to these terms. Let me send you this money. Uh, legally, you just signed up for that. And it's on the blockchain to prove it. So <laughs> I see blockchain smart contract lawyers uh, hours about to increase and also see them as to be some of the highest paid people on the planet <laughs> just because... People really just got to start looking at what they're signing up for. But look, you have to continue to challenge these narratives. If you're at home wondering about this stuff, you have to take the time to go into the communities and challenge the logic if you find something that looks sketchy. If you find something that you don't like and you would rather advocate for a different set of rights for your peers, do that. You have a voice. Let your voice be heard. That's one of the biggest like parts of Web3 and one of the biggest reasons why I'm bullish on it long term. But look, if you agree with us or you think that there's something more that you'd like to hear about this whole other side debate, please let us know in the comments down below on YouTube. Or if you are joining us on your preferred podcast platform, let us know in a review. Um, we actively check these comments to make sure that we're covering the content that you guys want us to cover. And that is what we'll always deliver on to you guys, is giving you what you want and help you learn even more. So that's going to wrap up the Aftershock for this week. But before we go, we are going to kick off a revamped version of our Buy, Seller, Hoddle segment, which is going to come on right about now. Buy, sell, or hoddle. So we are flipping the script on Buy, Seller, Hoddle. Um, we used to do this as our news, but we realized that we already you know, unpack enough of that across the show. So for buy, seller, hot, we're going to turn this into a game. It's kind of like um, a game that you would call FMK in an abbreviation. But I don't want to say those words so that I don't get fired. <laughs> so in this case, you're going to pick one of these specific de defenses that you are going to choose as the best recession defense from an investment standpoint that you would buy, one that you would sell, and one that you would hodl. And then we're going to unpack it. So your options are Bitcoin and other blue chip digital assets. Then you have traditional finance investment vehicles like stocks and ETFs. And last but not least, you have real estate and high risk investments. That would be anything from like actual homes, commercial real estate, even into real property. So like, I would argue an NFT is real property. Gold is real property. Commodities are real property. So if you had to buy one, sell one, and hodl one, how are you going to go about it, Richard? Man, in the current market, I'm selling 
uh, the stocks and ETFs. Just we'll see you. Let's get cash heavy. And with that cash heavy, I'm going to probably buy Bitcoin, other blue chip digital assets, especially while it's on a downward trend to get as much of a moon bag as possible. Dollar cost average, buy cheap. And I'm going to hodl real estate um, and high risk investments. Uh, just, uh, because you tied in high risk, that's still tough, but I'm still right now selling all the stocks and ETFs personally. So. So if there's one thing that we can agree on here, and for the record, I love that we're turning this into a game. It's a lot more fun. Um, if you at home think this is more fun, let us know because we're still <laughs> doing it. We're at whatever, like regardless of what you think, we're going to still keep doing it. Oops. Sorry. Not sorry. Um, to me, I think the sell is clearly stocks and ETFs and traditional finance investment vehicles. Um, if you've looked at the NASDAQ in the last couple of weeks, you understand why. After the last couple months. <laughs> Um, literally since the end of September, my um, activity in the traditional finance market has been bludgeoned with a shovel. So I'm going to get out of there and go cash heavy. And I would probably say, it, as hard as this is for me, because like I really am quite bullish on higher risk investments now, thanks to Richard. Um, he's completely destroyed my aversion to risk. Perdijin, you're welcome. I think I'm... Damn it. I think I'm actually going to hodl on Bitcoin and other blue chip assets and buy on real estate and high risk. Um, I think that you have a better hedge right now in real estate and high risk than you do in other blue chips. But again, I'm, I'm saying that hodl with a very, very clear designation that I'm hodling for now because I expect it's going to go a little bit lower and I want to be ready to buy more. Okay. Interesting. So, and I'm, I'm just curious. When you, obviously, we know what real estate is. When you, when you think of other high risk investments that are not crypto, what, what, what would fall in that category? So, to me, the easy ones are um, your heavy metals. Um, I would right now call that still high risk. Um, I think there's some commodities trading that you can argue is in that category. And all other, all other alternative investments like fractionalized property. I think that fits into that category really well. And if you're interested in more of that, I would check out rallyroad.com. They do a lot of really interesting stuff with alternative investments around real property. But again, it's, it's not like I have a huge amount of diversi diversification personally in that area right now. So it's in, it, besides NFTs, fine. You got me. I buy pictures, whatever. Um, that's just That's the game that I play. I prefer that world because I see a much higher upside in intellectual property and what we need in the future for not just identity, but for creators to be able to build out newer properties and newer stories. Um, but again, that's my personal prerogative, but I definitely see a lot of value in Bitcoin and blue chips right now. And if this was Warren Buffett, he'd say... Uh, buy trade fund investment vehicles like stocks and ETFs. He'd say sell Bitcoin, of course. And he would say hodl real estate, I bet. It's an interesting take. I think I'd probably agree with you. But I think that he would just get too wrapped up like with his blood pressure getting really high around the idea of sell all the Bitcoins. <laughs> uh, get off my lawn, you damn kids. Like that type of stuff. He would get way too caught up in that stuff. But... I think that's a really great place to end our show this week. Um, we hope that you've enjoyed it. We really enjoy putting these shows on for you. 
Um, of course, we want to know what your take is too on this buy seller huddle. How would you assign it? Let us know in the comments or in a review or just tweet at us directly. You've got our handles on screen if you're viewing on YouTube. If you're not viewing on YouTube because we want you to know that we've got it. That's why we're telling you about YouTube all the time. Our handles are at Steve Miller underscore PHX and at Richard Carthon. You can, of course, tweet directly to us or DM us. But we will be back next week with even more content for you. Um, but we've also got more content coming this week. In fact, there's a big piece coming out on Friday, um, which is very exciting. I'm ecstatic to share that one with you. It was an interview that I had sitting down with Avery Akineni, the president of Vayner NFT. Um, she is coming with a big announcement that I believe actually just came out publicly yesterday. So I can actually talk about it. Um, it was a massive partnership between Friends and Johnny Walker of all Scotch brands. Um, very interesting piece of news. Every single gift goat holder in the VFriends collection will be immediately airdropped a collaborative art piece from, brought by DK Motion, a nominal graphic artist um, that is specifically tied to the Johnny Walker brand. Um, so big, nice brand integration facilitated by, by Vayner NFT. You'll hear more about that on Friday. Um, but Richard, you had the pleasure of sitting down with somebody else on Monday. Who did you chat with um, for Monday? So on Monday, I had a really cool conversation um, with... Uh, his name is Premium Carrots, a.k.a. Uh, Michael. He's one of the uh, founders of Riot Racers. Riot Racers is an NFT play-to-earn game where you can um, play some really, really uh, cool games uh, where um, you could buy a car. You can also dress up your like driver. You can like do all this stuff and you pick strategy. You pick like what... But racer would be the best for it, and you basically uh, play against someone else. And then, if you, you know, based on what you bet, you can then earn some money back and do a bunch of stuff to to keep leveling up. So, really cool, interesting project. Um, if you're into play to earn games, this is one that you definitely want to go and check out. Awesome. Well, look, guys, that's going to do it for us this week here at Crypto Current. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the AfterShock. We will be back next week with another one for you on Wednesday connecting you to the world of Web3. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope that you stay cryptocurrent. Catch you guys next time.